have a copy of the Bible. It could be like mine in print, or you may have yours on your phone or an iPod or iPad, something like that. Let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat with me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now open up your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 7. Now, I want to remind you of something as we get started today. I think it's important to do this several times as we walk through the book of Revelation. There are primary issues that we as followers of Jesus cannot disagree on. We must be of one mind, one heart on these kind of issues. And then there are secondary issues. Secondary issues are those where there are differences of opinion when it comes to biblical interpretation on certain things. And one of those secondary issues is Bible prophecy, how prophecy plays out. For instance, there are people that love Jesus that believe the Bible, like myself, that believe that the rapture is going to occur before the tribulation. But then there are other people that love Jesus, that believe the Bible, that believe the rapture is going to occur at the midpoint of the tribulation. And some believe it's going to occur at the end of the tribulation. There are believers that believe that the millennium reign, millennial reign that it talks about in Revelation is a literal thousand year period of time. I believe that. There are others that believe that the millennial reign is a spiritual reign. Understand, when it comes to issues of Bible prophecy, we don't need to be arrogant, we don't need to be divisive, we don't need to be argumentative. We need to understand that there are people that love Jesus, that believe the Bible, that may have different opinions than us. Now, I'm your pastor, I'm the one that's called to lead this flock of believers. And so as I stand up and present God's Word, I'm going to present what I believe the Bible says is truth. And so if you have a different opinion on some of these things, that's okay. You have the right to stand before Jesus one day and say, Rocky was right. (laughs) That's okay. That's all right. But understand, we can disagree on these things. Now, the world has seen a lot of great revivals, great movements of God. The first one occurred in in Acts chapter 2. The church was born 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus that day. And many people say that by the end of the first century, there were over 30 million believers. In a matter of 70 years, 30 million people coming to faith in Christ. In 1857, a prayer meeting was started in New York City. And within the next two years, 2 million people came to faith in Jesus all across the United States. And one million people came to faith in Jesus in Ireland and in England. In 1904, a revival broke out in Wales. And in two years, 100,000 people were saved. And worldwide, during that two-year period, over 5 million people were saved. And God's still doing a great work today. 
In 1980, there were an estimated 2 million Christians in China, a closed country. Today, the Chinese government says that there are about 44 million Christians. And most people who really study this believe that there are closer to 120 million Christians in China. So there's been some great revivals. But I want you to know that I believe the Bible teaches that the greatest revival that will ever be experienced in the world will take place during the tribulation period. And that's what we read about in chapter 7. But before we get to chapter 7, we've got to go back to chapter 6 and wrap up that chapter. Now last week, we looked at the first four seals that were open. Seals that represent God's judgment on planet earth. Now let me remind you that in chapter 5, we see the one on the throne, God the Father, holding a scroll. And the scroll represents God's title deed on planet earth. And, and that scroll is sealed with seven seals. And, and there was no one found worthy to open the scroll to unleash the seals in heaven. But then Jesus came, the Lamb of God that was slaughtered for the sins of the world. And he was worthy to open up the scroll. Now let me remind you that it was sealed in such a way that when the first seal was open, you could read a portion of the scroll. And then a second seal was open, and you could read another portion of the scroll, and on and on until the seventh seal was open. And by the time the seventh seal was open, you could see the entire scroll. And you could read everything that was going to be taking place during this tribulation period. Now the first four seals that were open, we talked about last week, we call them... The four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first one is the Antichrist. The Antichrist comes to power on earth and he promises peace. And for a time there is peace. But then the second seal is open and we discover that war and violence cover the earth. And then the third seal is open. And we discover that, that famine and inflation at astronomical rates take place in the world. And then the fourth seal is open, and we discover that there's disease and pestilence and plagues. And by the end of the first two to three years of the tribulation, we're told that one quarter of the world's population, about two billion people, have died through wars and violence, famines, disease, pestilence, plagues. But then the fifth seal is opened. And listen to what it says in Revelation 6 verse 9. It says, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer to the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. And then as we move to this fifth seal, we see something entirely different than we expect. When the first four seals were brought to the earth, we see these four horses of judgment. But when this fifth seal is opened, we're taken to an altar, an altar in heaven. And we see the souls of, of those who were killed for the word of God and being faithful in their testimony. This action takes place on earth. But we're looking at the results of the action 
in heaven. Now, who are these people who are martyred? Some would say, well, these are people who belong to the church. But, but we discovered in chapter 4 that the church has already been raptured. The church is represented by the 24 elders. So who are these? These are people who come to faith in Jesus during this tribulation period. And notice what happens after they die. The Bible says their souls go to heaven. You need to understand that death is never the end. Death is not the end for a believer. Death is not the end for an unbeliever. There is a heaven that we can gain. There is a hell that we should avoid at all costs because death is not the end. It says in Revelation chapter 20 verse 4, And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So here are these people who are martyred during the tribulation. Their souls are in heaven, but they haven't been given their glorified body yet. That's going to take place at the end of the tribulation. Now notice the question they ask. They say, how long, O Lord, until you judge the people of the earth? How long, O Lord, before you avenge those who have done such evil things to us? In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43, it says this, For he, God, will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take revenge against his enemies. He will repay those who hate him and cleanse the land for his people. And when Jesus died, he cried for mercy for those who crucified him. When Stephen was stoned to death, he cried for mercy for those who stoned him. We are living in an age of grace. And in this age of grace, our desire should be for all people to come to faith in Christ. Even those who treat us wrongly. Even those who persecute us. And yet the Bible makes it crystal clear that there is coming a day when God will judge the world. There is coming a day when God will avenge those who have suffered for the sake of the gospel. And notice the answer that they received. They were told that they were to rest a little while longer. They were to wait a little while longer while others were being martyred. You see, during this tribulation period, there is no straddling the fence. If you become a follower of Jesus, there's a price to pay. And the price to pay is your life. Now then the sixth seal was opened. And listen to what it says in verse 12. I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as a black cloth and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll and all the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone... The kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, every slave, every free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to survive? And when we see this sixth seal open, we can see what only can be described as a supernatural cataclysmic event. The Bible says that the whole world will literally be shaken 
to its foundations. It says there will be a great earthquake. The sun will be darkened. The moon will turn red. The stars will fall from the sky. Now, I, I don't understand all that this entails, but I can tell you that this time is going to be a terrible, devastating time. You say, Rocky, how can things like this bring such devastation? Well, in 1556, there was an earthquake in China that killed 800,000 people. In the 18th century, there was an earthquake in Japan that killed 80,000 or 200,000 people. And in 1970, there was an earthquake in North Peru that killed 67,000 people. But this earthquake is going to be much greater than all of those. It's going to be a worldwide earthquake that will shake the very foundations of the earth. The Bible says that the mountains will change. The word here for great earthquake is the Greek word megas, which means great in power. And I'm convinced that this great earthquake that covers the face of the earth will cause volcanoes to erupt as the ground opens up. And hence we have the sun turning dark and the moon turning blood red. Many seismologists have told us that when there are large eruptions of earthquake, the, the dust that goes up in the air from the eruption can darken the sun and it can make the earth appear to be blood red. And then it says stars will fall from the sky. The Greek word that is used there is the word aster, the word we get our word asteroid from. And notice how the people of the world react here. Everyone is affected. The powerful, the, uh, the people who have no power, the wealthy, the poor. No one is too important. No one is too insignificant to miss out on the judgment of God. And the people try to hide from God. But you can't hide from God. You know, I've discovered that that's what we always try to do when we live in disobedience, when we live in rebellion to a holy God. We try to hide ourselves. It's what Adam and Eve did. It's what David did when he committed um, adultery with, with Bathsheba. That's what Peter did when, when he um, disobeyed God by, um, by um, denying Jesus three times. We try to hide ourselves from God, but understand, you can't hide yourself from God. But what's amazing to me is these people know that this is the wrath of God. This is the judgment of God. Do they repent? No. They don't repent. They simply try to hide themselves from God. But here's what you need to understand. Here's what's amazing. In the midst of God's wrath, in the midst of God's judgment, he displays his mercy and his grace. There's a prayer that is prayed in Habakkuk 3 verse 2. It goes like this. In your wrath, remember mercy. And that's what God always does. Even when God brings judgment, he displays his mercy. He displays his grace. He displays his mercy in your life from the moment you're born to the moment you die. We see that in the thief on the cross. He lived his life in rebellion against God. But near to his point of death, he saw who Jesus was and he begged for mercy and he received it. And you need to understand that anyone who cries out to God for mercy will receive mercy. Many people don't understand this and some may not even believe it. But God's wrath is even an act of mercy. 
God's wrath is to get people to humble themselves, repent, and turn to him so they can experience his mercy and his grace. 2 Peter chapter 3 is talking about the second coming of Jesus. And, and in verse 9 it says this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, the promise of his return. He is coming back. He's not being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. You see, God's desire is to prolong judgment and wrath as long as he can. And even in that judgment and wrath, God is displaying his grace and his mercy over and over again. And that's what we see in chapter 7. It's as if God takes a break in his judgment on the world so that his mercy, so that his grace can be displayed. Now, when we look at chapter 7, there are three things that that you need to see. The first is the message is proclaimed. And the message is the message of the gospel. The message that saves. Listen to what it says in verses 1 through 4. Then I, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Holding back the four winds. So they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east. Carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land. And say, wait. Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. Now notice how this chapter begins. God commands four angels who are standing on the four corners of the earth not to harm the earth until his servants have been sealed. Now this isn't saying that the earth is flat. And has four corners. It's not saying the earth is square. This is talking about the, the, the four points of a compass. The north, the south, the east, the west. The four points of the world. And there are four angels ready to unleash God's judgment on the earth. From every direction. And God says, wait. Hold up until I have sealed my servants. Then we are told that 144,000 from the tribes of Israel are marked with the seal of God. Now who are these sealed servants? And different groups say that they represent different people. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that they're the 144,000. There are some who say that the church is the 144,000. But, but what does Scripture say? Well, the Scripture says that there will be 12,000 from 12 of the tribes of Israel. And even list how many Israelites will come from each of the 12 tribes. These are literal Israelites. These are 144,000 Jews who were given God's seal, signifying a relationship with God. God always marks his own. There are some that believe that because Israel rejected Jesus, God is through with Israel. That the church has become the new Israel. There are some that say that. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible makes it clear that there is coming a day when God will do a work in Israel and he will save Israel. And I believe that these 144,000 are the first fruits of what God is going to do in the nation of Israel. The Bible says that we as born again believers are sealed. In Hebrews 
or if you, excuse, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of judgment. I believe these 144,000 Jews received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seals them. But I believe this seal is much more than that. Because in Revelation 14, we see these 144,000 in heaven now. And the Bible says that they have a mark, the name of the Father, on their forehead. It appears that, that these 144,000 are given a visible mark that can be seen that signifies who they are. During this period of time, the Antichrist, the beast, will have a mark. And those who want to buy and sell, those who want to identify with the beast are given the mark. And the Bible seems to indicate that during this time, God is going to mark those that come to him as well. And God has set these 144,000 apart for a special purpose. They're called servants. This is the word that the Apostle Paul uses to describe himself. This is the word that James uses in his epistle to describe himself. Now, the task of a servant is to do the work of the master, whatever the master tells them to do. And the number one task that the master tells his servants to do, God tells his servants to do, is spread the gospel. And I believe with all my heart, these 144,000 are set apart by God to share the gospel with the world. David Jeremiah says, these are specially chosen Jewish evangelist. Chuck Swindoll says these 144,000 Hebrews will serve as faithful, courageous, and diligent witnesses for Christ during the darkest period of human history. I believe that these 144,000 Apostle Pauls will go out into the world proclaiming the good news of the gospel to everyone. Matthew 24 Verse 14, when Jesus is telling his disciples about the end of the age, the end of the world, and when he will come again, in verse 14 he says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I believe with all my heart that this verse is fulfilled with these 144,000 at the end of the age who come into all the world proclaiming the good news of Jesus. They will saturate the world with the gospel. But how are these Jewish missionaries saved? Well, if you're here last week, I told you to mark in your Bible Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. And in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, it says that the Holy Spirit, even during this time, is sent out into every part of the earth. So even during the tribulation, the Holy Spirit is going to be doing his work in the earth. Now, the Bible tells us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict us of sin, the need for righteousness, and the judgment to come. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to be doing that even during the tribulation period. The church has left the world, but the Holy Spirit is still in the world. Now, how did the Holy Spirit work in the lives of these witnesses? Well, there are several possibilities. It could be through dreams and visions. In the Middle East and in Central Asia, I've met a number of people who have come to faith in Christ through having dreams about Jesus. It could be a dream or a vision, but that's not what I think. 
It could be a copy of God's Word that they get their hands on. I mean, even though the church is gone, there are going to be millions upon millions of copies of God's Word, billions of copies of God's Word. And and the Bible tells us that it is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to cut deep within. When we read the Word of God, the Word of God will convict. And people are going to be looking for answers for what is happening in the world. So it could be that they read the Word of God. But I believe there's another option. In Revelation chapter 11, we're told about these two Jewish prophets that prophesy in Jerusalem for three and a half years. They're given supernatural power from God. We're going to talk about them a little bit later as we go through this book. But I believe it's quite possible that these 144,000 hear the message from these two prophets of God and they surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins, trusting Jesus to be their Savior, their Messiah. And they go into the world sharing the gospel. And what is the result of their ministry? Well, a multitude is saved. Listen to what it says in verse 9 and following. It says, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count. Hold on to that. A, A vast crowd too great to count from all nations, provinces, languages, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white with palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a mighty shout, salvation comes from our God upon the throne and from the Lamb. And now all the angels were crowding around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings and falling face down before the throne, worshiping God. Amen, they said. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Here we see the fruit of these 144,000 who are going out into the world. A vast multitude that is too great to count. People from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. The world is experiencing a revival even in the midst of tribulation. We're told people from every ethnicity, no one will be left out. Every tribe, every people, every language, no one will be left out. will be coming to Jesus. And in heaven, they're going to be waving palm branches, symbolizing celebration, deliverance, jubilation. And they join with the angels and the elders and the living beings, all falling face down before the throne of God, worshiping him. Now these verses show us this great crowd that's in heaven that come to faith. But how did they get there? Who are they? Well, we're told that they are the believers who will be martyred. The believers that were martyred that we saw in Revelation 6 that were under the altar, that is who we see right here. Listen to what it says in verse 13 and following. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, do you know who these are who are clothed in white and where they come from? No, sir, I replied. Please tell me. And he said, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and whitened them by the blood of the Lamb. That is why they're here before the throne of God, serving Him day and night in His temple. The ones sitting on the throne will shelter them. They will never be hungry again, nor thirsty. They will be fully protected from the scorching noontime heat. For the Lamb standing in front of the throne will feed them and be their shepherd and lead them to the springs of water of life. God will wipe their tears away. Some have this idea that if they don't make it to heaven during the rapture, they will willingly die for Jesus during the tribulation. But I've got news for you. Listen to me. 
If you're not willing to live for Jesus unashamedly today, I doubt you're going to be willing to die for Jesus during the tribulation. It's going to be a horrible time. But what we need to understand is the same thing that is true in the tribulation is true today. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, if you're not willing to live for Jesus today, do you think you really know him? Do you think that you really understand who he is? That's why we say when we get saved, we give our hearts to Jesus because our heart is our very life. That's why we say that we surrender our lives to Jesus because the greatest desire of our life is to live for him, to do whatever it takes to go wherever he leads. These tribulation saints endured the worst that this world had to give. And now and for all eternity, they will enjoy the best that God has to give. They're before the throne of God, serving him day and night. Some of these tribulation saints were homeless because of their faith. Others starved to death or thirst to death because of their faith. Some died from the scorching heat or the frigid cold because of their faith. Others died by the guillotine or other cruel ways because of their faith. But now in heaven, God will meet their every need. He's their good shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. He gives us all we want, all we need. We won't want for anything. And that's what we have to look forward to when we go to heaven. If we don't have that, all we have to look forward to is the horrible judgment of God. You see, there are only two possibilities. We give our heart and life to Jesus fully and follow him all the days of our life. The Bible says those who endure to the end will be saved. Or we anticipate the horrible judgment that awaits all who reject Jesus. What about you? Are you ready to stand before Jesus? Are you ready to give an account of your life? Have you been born again? If we were in the tribulation right now, would you be here? Would you be in heaven? Where would you be? I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior, and you've never surrendered your life to him as your Lord, repenting of your sins, giving him your all, and today you're willing to humble yourself before him. And I want to encourage you right now to pray this prayer to him. Dear God, I humbly come to you today acknowledging that I'm a sinner. I've lived life my way. I've lived as if I was the boss. Forgive me. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth and died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin and death for me. Today I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving my life to you. From this day forward, Jesus, 
I want to live for you and serve you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me.